listening to Her Body on Body.io FM, the women's source for optimal health and lifelong performance with your host, Alex Navarro. Welcome everybody to another episode of Her Body brought to you by Body IOFM. I am your host, Alex Golodriga, and today's special guest is Alicia Hale. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to chat with you today about all sorts of things, but more specifically the breath work that you do. I'm going to give the audience just a brief explanation of who you are and what you do, and then we'll jump into the amazing work that you do. So um, Alicia is a personal trainer and board certified and licensed acupuncturist and is particularly passionate about combining acupuncture, applied neurology, movement coaching to help young women through their metabolic issues, thyroid problems, pre and postnatal journey, fertility challenges, menstrual irregularities, pain and respiratory issues. In 2013, she founded Cruise Elite, which is how I found you, in partner with Taylor Cruz. Both are dedicated to coaching people, coaches and athletes into their best health and performance. You do a lot of stuff, don't you? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when I listen to the bio, it's kind of funny to hear. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I mean, bios are hard. Trying to like put into a, a concise paragraph briefly all the things that someone might do is, is hard. I have that trouble yeah, too. I, mm-hmm. I could have just said women's health. That would have been easier. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But I mean, and then obviously we're going to be digging into the more details about what you do and how you got into this. Um, and then just one, one like, um, well, again, how I found you is through uh, Alyssa Chang, who I had had on the podcast, um, I would say a couple of years ago now, um, who's a friend from my our competing years a very, very long time ago. And anybody that she follows, I tend to follow. She's um, got a wealth of information, and that's how I found you and Taylor. And I'm actually a member to the CruiseElite.com community cool. and yeah, find yeah. your work fascinating. So I love the 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 bridge of neurology and movement um, find it fascinating and then you show up with the breath breath work in the cruise elite women's page which I was super excited about so thank you for creating that yeah thank you for for all of your involvement and um, for including me in your experience <laughs> absolutely it's information and work that I feel like is um, under underutilized, undershown. It's just not out there unless it's something that you're actively seeking. It's not something that you'll easily stumble upon. And um, it is a unique genre, uh, but something I feel like is catching a little bit more wind and that can be of great benefit to so many people. So um, I'm sure that there are a lot of places that we could start um, in terms of explaining exactly what you do, but let's give a little, why don't you give a little background about who you are and how you got into this. Okay. So I, I, um, have had kind of an interesting journey through the health and fitness industry. I started out about, I want to say 10 or 11 years ago with personal training. And I quickly discovered that while I was interested in being active and helping other people be healthy, I wasn't quite satisfied with the route that personal training was taking me in. 
Um, I got pretty bored pretty quickly with the same set of exercises over and over again and kind of just standing there and counting reps for people. And I think most trainers go through that journey, and that's why we seek out additional educational opportunities. And so I went into trying to find ways that I could help improve people's health and also help them with pain because many times people were coming in with pain and now you have to reorganize your entire training session around trying to figure out how to get them through a training session safely without further injuring them or causing additional pain. Mm -hmm. And so that took me into um, two different two different directions. One was acupuncture. And then the other was learning about applied neurology through a company called Z Health. And so I actually learned both of those things at the same time, which is a little bit insanity. That's a lot of information. Yeah, the acupuncture is a master's program, um, three-year master's program. And then Z Health is essentially designed to be a master's program through all of their courses, but it is not obviously a master's program. It's for its continuing education for Mm -hmm. health professionals. And trainers, but anyway, I was learning both of those things at the same time, and um, basically getting a unique perspective on how you can actually use that information, both acupuncture and applied neurology, in order to improve someone's health and performance. And so I just started getting really nerdy about it and experimenting with clients and realizing there was a lot of other ways that you can improve performance besides your traditional um, strength and conditioning route. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's so fun that you were able to take so many different approaches and find a way to meld them together. And I'm sure by, by experimenting with different clients, you're able to see, you know, how much of one versus the other, or I'm sure even at different times, um, how you would choose one over the other or emphasize one over the other in a given workout, but also like as someone was able to progress, how that could change for them. So that's super cool. I I wish you lived closer. I would want to be a guinea pig. That's what everyone says. (laughs) You probably can't do acupuncture virtually. I don't see that working very well, unfortunately. Unfortunately, I wish I could because I would love to include it more with our remote sessions, but... (laughs) But the the other side, the neuro the neurological side, uh, is definitely something that can be shared, and you guys do a really good job of that. Yeah, and it's actually been a really cool experience because one, so we tr- transitioned our entire business, as you know, online about a year and a half ago. Um, we w- we did do everything in person in our studio in Massachusetts until then. And one of the reservations we had about going online was that we weren't going to be able to be as intricate with our coaching and our hands-on cues for clients. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big concern. We're like, can we really still get results with people without that hands-on feel? And what we're finding is that because of what we know about neurology, in order to get someone to get an effective change, they have to have repetition Mm -hmm. to create plasticity. And what we're able to do online in terms of our coaching where we're working with athletes and and, um, general population with programming is they're actually getting better results because one, accountability with the programming that we're doing and two, with the repetition that they're able to actually get. So it's been a really cool experience because we went from being very nervous that online training was not going to work to Mm -hmm. finding that it's actually working better. Wonderful. That's so exciting and wonderful when things happen like that. Yeah, exactly. Your gut was right. 
(laughs) (laughs) So what would you say was the catalyst for yourself or interest in in this type of work and how you felt like you could incorporate it into your life specifically? Because I'm sure everybody has their reasons. Um, I, I I was lured in because I have an athletic background. And so yeah. that side of things um, was obviously what piqued my interest. But for someone from the general population, you know, if, it, if it's just to feel better and avoid pain or know how to manage pain and what that, you know, what pain means to them, obviously yeah. that's something that could be of great value. So what was it for you? So I, def- I have an athletic background also, I was a soccer player growing up and I played through my freshman year of college. Um, and I quit after my freshman year because I was having a lot of difficulties, both health and physically, that I believe started after having a concussion my junior year in high school. Um, and at the time, I didn't really know the power of that or what it could do to your health, but I knew I had all these symptoms like migraines, sleep issues, digestive digestive issues, to the point where I didn't have the energy to keep up with the soccer training. And I also was terrified of head balls. So I had such I had a couple head injuries, both of them minor, I was never knocked out, I never lost consciousness, um, but enough to impact my brain, obviously. And so I was getting migraines triggered by head balls in soccer. And so I decided my freshman year that I just couldn't, I couldn't keep up with the training. And so I backed out of that, but my interest in athletics never really went away. And I think because of those experiences where I had a, a couple physical setbacks, I became interested in how to overcome that specific set of issues. Um, and I think that's what led me into getting involved with something like Z Health, where you're learning more about the neurology and the brain and how your performance can be affected by issues that you might be having at the brain level. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, diving into that, that world is, it's a lot of information and yeah. there's a lot of different applications to it. So did you because of the interest of having the athletic background, do you feel like that's immediately where you started or experimented with applying that information? Or did you, was there another route that you ended up taking? Um, yeah. So I, I would say that my route has always been balancing that line between um, understanding the physiology and then also the performance. And so I have gotten really involved with breath work as a result of what I learned through Z Health. And the reason for that is because the the balance of oxygen and CO2 in our body is is so important for um, both health and performance. And what I found through Z Health is that dealing with breath work can actually improve your health and performance. Um, because you're affecting your cells at a metabolic level. And so I started exploring that after having a bunch of um, digestive stuff going on and like energy issues and thyroid problems. And I see health tipped me off to the idea that you can actually use breath work in order to improve all of those things. And so I started doing that pretty religiously and experienced results in all of those symptoms. And so, um, 
that personal experience is what drives everything that I'm teaching now, for sure. Absolutely. I can see that. Yeah. It's like when you find the magic gem, you're like, why doesn't everybody know about this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially when it comes to something, a type of work that is so accessible to other yeah, people exactly. once they understand how it works, why it works, and how to integrate it into either their everyday or into their workout specifically. Yeah, there's so many little things you can do that can make such a big um, impact that that's why I love it so much, for sure. What did you, when you first started running your experiments, what were some of the things that surprised you about the changes that you saw or the difference that you you noticed in your body? Well, um, so I should say that for a while there, during that time, I had a, I was hypothyroid for a few years. And during that time, I was not able in any way to exercise at any level of intensity. Um, and so one of the first goals for me was figuring out how I could slowly increase my exercise intensity without having such a negative impact. Because what would happen is I would exercise and, um, you know, I tried to get my heart rate up. I wasn't sweating. I never really felt warmed up. And then afterwards, or towards the end of the workout, I would always have a blood sugar crash. Mm-hmm. And to the point where I basically for the rest of the day couldn't do anything. I couldn't get work done. I couldn't focus. I had zero energy and basically spent the next few days recovering just from what I would consider now a pretty simple workout. So um, I think that when I started to realize that I could implement, you know, d- different types of breath work, into my training, I was using that as a measurement for progress. Like, could I actually get myself to start to do simple workouts and not have such a negative metabolic crash from the workout? Well, that's a huge change. And obviously, I mean, and a very obvious one that it's something you're going to experience in the moment right away and be able to use that as a a gauge of how, how is this working for me? Is it working for me? Is it, is it allowing me to be able to do other things that I want to do that, you know, in in a fairly normal situation should help improve your quality of life, not make it worse. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that was, that's the tricky thing. And you can take that personally as someone, I'm sure other people that have known um, hormonal struggles, take it personally and actually think that they're the problem. When you have those issues, you you think that something is wrong with you as a person and it's part of your identity when really it's actually not anything to do with you. It's your hormones and those things can be fixed. So don't internalize that. You know what I mean? There's a lot of ways that you can work on it. It's such a good message and one that I, it's something I I talk about regularly both on the podcast, but with my everyday clients, because it is interesting how easily we can take anything we feel or experience as a gauge of who we who we think we are yeah, and our worth so and our value. Yeah, it's, we get very wrapped up in it. Um, yeah. Something I definitely experienced back when I was competing more often and, and using um, unsustainable approaches to, to getting on stage and, and achieving that, that physique look that, that they were looking for and kind of what I compromised in the process and... Luckily, I don't do that anymore. I've learned a lot <laughs> since that point. But uh, but just goes to show that there's so many different ways and situations that we can get ourselves into unknowingly. And then we're in that situation and we have no idea how to get out. And we put our, our value and worth on 
the current state. Yeah, exactly. Sort of a downward spiral from there. Exactly. So what would you say is, well, you, you started noticing changes in the workouts, which was a good sort of gauge of, okay, how, how well is this working for me now? I'm noticing these improvements. At what point did you either step it, step it up a notch in your workouts? Like what was the experimentation like at, from that point? That's a great question. So um, I would say that it took me um, basically the, the way that I progressed myself is doing very passive breath work that helps to build energy, which is the CO2 work that we can talk about for sure. Um, so very passive breath work that did not take almost any physical energy in order just to start to build my stamina and my energy levels so that I could do something more active. And then at a certain point, I started just using walking as my form of exercise and specifically focusing on walking with nasal breathing. And the reason you want to do that is because nasal breathing has a huge amount of benefits. Um, One is that it's actually going to increase your respiratory capacity open your airways, help you breathe better. But the other is that it's helping you to build up a little bit of CO2 by reducing your inhale a little bit. So you're not taking in so much oxygen. The goal with that is to allow your body to build up enough CO2 that your body then has the ability to offload the oxygen into your tissues to help you recover. And so, um, a good CO2 practice, even if it's just with walking, is a really good way to start to build your energy levels, but also your your ability to recover. And so I slowly started integrating CO2 work from walking into eventually running and cycling. Um, I would say that that took a little bit of time, and it also took me having to graduate from grad school. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> that itself, that being in grad school and also owning Cruzily with Taylor and having clients on the side was so stressful and so time consuming that I really didn't have a lot of time to recover enough anyway. And so it was helpful when I graduated <laughs> <laughs> so that I could pick up, so I could spend a little more time recovering and a little more time picking up my intensity with ex- exercise. But um, at a certain point, I started integrating um what we call air hunger into my workouts and I would only do like 20 minute workouts like really short workouts but all focused on reduced breathing practices and so um you know doing a little bit of exercise and then practicing some breath hold exercise so getting my heart rate up a little bit and then holding my breath while I do some exercise and just doing like little intervals of that um that was really useful to progress through So it's really interesting, actually, how it's progressed from basically doing nothing except lying on the couch and breathing into a a bag, which is what I was doing passively to improve my CO2 tolerance, (laughs) to now, like, riding my bike for an hour and and hiking mountains. That's crazy. (laughs) That's so interesting. And something, I mean, I definitely want you to go into a little bit more detail about what that looks like, um, that the air hunger specifically. It's... I, I imagine, I mean, obviously it's something that I've experimented with, so, but I also remember the discomfort that I felt when I first started. <laughs> I think there was a more of a, 
it was like kind of the physical discomfort that went with it, but also, you know, in your head, you're like, well, holding your breath, that doesn't sound like a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) How, what, why, why would this be good for me? Uh, you know, but it is kind of getting mentally, um, or emotionally getting past that sort of discomfort. Yeah. Part of I'm actively trying to not take an error, <laughs> which yeah. sounds counterintuitive to a lot of people. Um, it's something that I practiced. Well, I'll, I'll, I can kind of share how I've integrated some of the breath work and, and areas that I was, was surprised in by how I responded um, in a little bit. But can you tell us a little bit more about what, what air hunger is and why it's a yeah. benefit? Yeah, so... Um, I think in order to understand why air hunger is so beneficial, we have to talk about what CO2 is actually doing for your body. And the reason we do is because everyone thinks that you need to increase your oxygen in order to improve your breath work and your recovery. But what we need to know about is the relationship between oxygen and CO2 and that there's a very intimate and intricate ratio involved between oxygen and CO2 that is um, responsible for our energy and recovery and tissue recovery. And so we, um, the most important thing to know is this thing called the Bohr effect. And the Bohr effect is when um, CO2 actually triggers the release of oxygen from our blood so that it can be delivered to our tissues to be used as energy. And the reason that's so important is that if we don't have enough CO2 or CO2 tolerance, we can have all the oxygen we want in our bloodstream, but our tissues might not be getting and utilizing that oxygen in any way because that bore effect is not being triggered by the CO2. And so that is the hardest lesson to teach people because everyone thinks they need the oxygen. You don't want to be low of oxygen. You feel like when you do air hunger work, you're stressed out because you're out of breath. Mm-hmm. And everyone interprets that as, I don't have enough oxygen. Well, and, it can be a little scary. Yeah, exactly. And it is. It is for a lot of people. So you just have to kind of teach how to balance that line that's going to work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it really is, is it's not actually low oxygen. It's low CO2 tolerance. So you're not actually tolerating the ability to hold on to CO2 so that you can then get that oxygen to your tissue. So I think it's understanding that specific effect that will help you understand why air hunger training is so important. And then also learning how to progress yourself through it safely. Which would make sense to have a coach. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Creating that safe safe place for you to be able to attempt these things and practice them on your own and find that line between, you know, immediate discomfort and, I mean, just like any exercise, you know, there's going to be a level of discomfort because it's not something you're used to doing. It's a new experience. It's a lack of trust that someone has in their body and their ability. And so having a coach to guide you through that and, and create that safe place for somebody is, I feel like, what's invaluable um but it's also going to make somebody a little more confident in wanting to try it yeah i don't i mean but i I definitely want to touch on a couple things that some of our audience members members might be able to try on their own um at some point but we can save that for the end cool i have a quick question is i've i've personally experienced hyperventilation 
yep. in like a, a panic moment. Um, is mm-hmm. that the sensation that you're feeling? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, okay. that's a, um, that's definitely low CO2. And then the problem with hyperventilating is that you are now taking in more oxygen and getting rid of more CO2. And so you're actually kind of further um, reducing the CO2 in your body, and that can keep you hyperventilating. And so that's why one of the tools that people use in a situation where you are hyperventilating is bag breathing, Mm -hmm. um, because then you're breathing your CO2 back in. And And breathing your CO2 back in is what allows your breath to calm down. That makes sense. Yeah. Very interesting. I'm like wishing that I had this tool back then. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but it makes sense why someone would go to bag breathing and why that is something that is seen more often. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that is actually what I was doing was bag breathing. And I wasn't physically or visibly hyperventilating. So people are going to look at you if you're bag breathing and think that you're having a panic attack. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> um, but that. But when you're talking about breathing rate and breathing volumes, you can get a pretty high breathing rate that is equivalent to hyperventilating without it actually being visible. Like people aren't even going to know that you're breathing rapidly and you might not even know that yourself. And so one of the things that I recommend to people is counting how many breaths they take in a minute. And it's actually easier if someone else counts for you when you don't know it because it'll be more accurate. That makes sense. But you can do this with for yourself and find out how many breaths you take per minute because the average ideal breaths per minute is about 10 to 12, and that number is pretty low. Um, and most people are up around 20 to 22. And even in that range of breaths per minute, it doesn't look like hyperventilating, but it is. Interesting. So I can just imagine if someone's in a stressful situation or they're triggered in some way, how that would increase exponentially without someone even realizing it. Yeah, exactly. Very interesting. So when you, what, what's like the first approach that you would have somebody take, say, say someone was going to be bag breathing, would they focus more on increasing the length of time for each breath? So that's, that's the trippy part is you actually don't necessarily want to increase the amount of time you spend bag breathing because what happens as you train bag breathing is you're improving your CO2 tolerance. So your body's ability to handle the CO2. And so you will hit, uh, you will basically fill that, fill that, um, level that you're trying to hit sooner as you get better. So the longer that you're breathing into a bag, the more likely you are basically breathing in more of your own oxygen, which is why you can go longer. Um, and so you actually want the time to be shorter. So around 20 to 30 seconds. Gotcha. And some people can do that for up to a minute. So I would, I like to think about it instead is if you can do that up to a minute, it's probably something that you should work on. Gotcha. Okay. And would somebody want to focus on the length of each inhale, exhale, or is that a different, different time for that? Yeah, I would say there's a different time for that. I like to tell people to just be, you know, do relaxed, natural breathing, but don't overthink it. So just breathe normal. And then when you are breathing into a bag, you don't want to breathe into the bag for so long that it creates so much air hunger that when you come out, you're now hyperventilating because you you lost your breath. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could see that happening. 
that happens. You actually really, it takes a lot of work to get people to understand that because you actually want to stop before you start to feel your breathing rate change. So you want it to be natural. You want it to be relaxed. You don't want a deep breath or deep exhale. You just want it to be natural for you and then making sure that that rate doesn't speed up. And if it does, you stop the back breathing before that happens so that when you come out of it, you can still breathe through your nose and not feel like you're running out of breath. Gotcha. You don't want to hyperventilate after bad breathing because then you kind of just reverse the process of what you just tried to do. (laughs) That's what I was just thinking. I was like, then you might have pushed it too far. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Super interesting. So during the bad breathing, is the goal to only breathe in and out of the nose? We'll touch on the the nasal breathing next. Yeah, so the reason that we like nasal breathing, and in the bag bag breathing, you definitely want to keep it all nasal, um, is that when you breathe through your nose, there are specific things that happen. And one of those things is that we have a gas that lives in our nose called nitric oxide. And that gas only gets pulled into your lungs if you breathe through your nose. And the gas is responsible for opening your airways and increasing your circulation. And so there's a huge benefit to breathing through your nose just in terms of improving your circulation and your breathing capacity. Um, And then also you're gonna be restricting airflow. You can take a lot more oxygen in or a lot more air in through your mouth. And so because of what we talked about with over breathing, where you're actually trying to focus more on building a CO2 tolerance, you don't wanna actually spend too much time breathing through your mouth because you're going to be taking in too much oxygen oxygen, and not getting enough CO2 building up. So nasal breathing is kind of a natural way to train reduced breathing because you're not going to be taking in too much air at one time. Um, and there's a lot of other benefits to that. So, you know, improving your CO2 tolerance can affect your pH levels. And so now we're talking about the fact that it can, it can actually impact your digestion um, and I'm trying to think of all the different benefits. I think that's the, those are the main three. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. But it's, it's hard for a lot of people to do breathe through their nose. I mean, that's just something I've, I've noticed in trying to cue people during exercise and, uh, a lot of people struggle with that. Do you have any advice for somebody who's maybe just starting off? And, uh, for example, my husband has a, a deviated septum, so that's it's always a struggle for him. Are there yeah. techniques for people like that? Um, I would say that the in, in that situation, the most beneficial way to train it would be just to train the skill of nasal breathing at rest. Yeah, that and so you want you want people to develop the habit of breathing through their nose, even if they have a, a restriction of some kind, because nasal breathing can actually help improve that. Like, for example, if you're really congested all the time, nasal breathing can actually help clear that congestion. Mm-hmm. And so it can be a really good way to learn it passively. And it's the most important way, in my opinion, because you take thousands of breaths in a day. And if most of them are through your mouth, you are potentially messing up that relationship between oxygen and CO2, and that is going to affect your energy levels, your sleep, your digestion. Um, So that's why I always like to teach the most important time to nasal breathe is actually all day. All day, right? Take take a few time moments in your day to make sure that that's what's happening and 
Yeah. Which I feel like it's just a good practice for anybody. Exactly. Any day <laughs> during any situation, like a, just to have that check in with yourself because we don't get enough opportunities in our busy days to do that. Yeah. Um, and it's great to clear the head, gives you something else to focus on. Can be yeah. very therapeutic for a lot of people, especially if there is, a, you know, a stress trigger or you know, they're about to go into a meeting that they're not prepared for. Um, I find that the good opportunities are just our day to day, where incorporating something like this would, I mean, just like you said, be of great benefit across across the board. Yeah, exactly. And then if you're in a situation where you obviously want to improve their fitness at the same time. Um, if someone's having trouble with nasal breathing during cardio or during their exercise or training session, I recommend using nasal breathing as a rest and recovery in between sets. So if you can't nasal breathe during your session, or if there's a reason you don't want to nasal breathe, for example, you're not going to nasal breathe if you're doing strength and speed work, because you do actually want to have a nice explosive exhale that can come from the mouth and that's okay. Um, and the same thing at high intensity cardio sessions. If you are at 75 to 100% effort, it's going to get very difficult to maintain nasal breathing. And that's okay too. Right. Um, but the, you then want to consider nasal breathing during your recovery. So in between sets or for a certain amount of time after your session's over. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting that you say that because that's actually how I integrated it um, more. What's the right word? Um, with an intention is when I, um, when I, after I had my son and I was getting back into my gymnastics training, I obviously had to do a lot of, of, uh, of core work to get my core strong again, reconnect with the, the different parts of it that I had lost a little bit during the, the final stages of my pregnancy. And a lot of what I found to be the, of the most help was integrating specific breathing techniques in between the sets of my exercises. Um, also not just recovery sakes, but also again, to reconnect with the various parts of my core to find out what was yeah. working and what wasn't because, um, and maybe we could talk about, um, you know, breathing through the diaphragm, belly breathing. I know you had a post about that, that I, I thought was, um, super helpful for some people because that's a confusing area for some, the belly breathing. Um, yeah. But something that I found to be a great benefit, not only within my sessions, but my recovery afterwards, um, because there were times where I would, you know, having been an athlete before, I hit it a little bit too hard in my sessions. I was a little overambitious <laughs> um, getting back into the swing of things and found that my recovery afterwards was greatly impacted because of that. So by incorporating just five minutes of breath work after sessions, I mean, yes, yeah. I did it in between exercises. I would take that as my recovery um, in between sets. But at the end and finishing with that, it almost left like with an elated feeling. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, I can do anything now. It was great. <laughs> but it was just, it was very interesting to see how such a small, easy inclusion made such a big difference. Yeah, exactly. That's why I love it so much. It's very powerful. And I feel like it's um very empowering too. To like yeah. feel that, feel that connection with yourself, have that kind of control, um, not in a controlling way, but yeah, yeah, very interesting. No, I, I know what you mean because it's like it's a self-sustainable tool. It's something you can do for yourself, mm-hmm. and it, it is really empowering for sure. Um, well, can we talk a little bit about belly breathing? 
because it's something that I get asked about a lot. Um, I know there's a lot of confusion around it. It's sort of one of those time and place. How are you using it? Why are you using it sort of things? Um, So what is your, what's your two cents? What's your experience with, with that? Um, So I, I actually like to teach instead of belly breathing, we have an assessment that we use to find out where someone's breath is going on each breath. And that assessment is called high-low breathing test. And what you do is you put one hand on your belly and one hand on your chest, and then you just breathe naturally. You're not trying to breathe in or out deeply or anything like that, just your natural breath. And what we're looking for is the rhythm that your breathing has and how it passes through your entire torso. And if your belly is extending but your chest is not moving, I'm looking for that. Or if your chest is lifting and raising while you're breathing, but your belly's not moving at all, I'm looking for that. So both of those situations are not ideal. What I like to look for is seeing a rhythm that basically waves throughout the torso from the belly up through the chest and rib cage. And specifically, what I think is important to look for is whether or not someone's rib cage is actually expanding three-dimensionally while they're breathing. Um, You don't want to put specific emphasis on chest breathing or belly breathing. And the reason for that is you're going to be inhibiting the amount of air that you can actually bring in. um, And that's obviously going to affect your performance. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't like cueing belly breathing because people will take you literally and they will (laughs) every time breath into their belly. And they will get no movement in their rib cage, and you need movement in your rib cage in order for your lungs and your rib cage and your spine to move appropriately. Um, and so, yeah, I just don't like the cue. <laughs> right, right. Well, when people take the cues very literally, but if it's hard to, to think of other ways of cueing those things, and I feel like that's something that I, I struggle with the most is the, the verbiage to use with yeah. different people and what's going to resonate with them, especially for somebody who you know, doesn't have as much body awareness as say you and I, who have a lot of experience with this, um, you know, sort of picturing where air should go, where it can go, where it should go. It's, um, it can be a little confused, a little overwhelming. Yeah. And the high low breathing assessment can actually teach people what is supposed to happen. So we use it as an assessment just to see if there's a breathing pattern issue, but you can also explain to people that, when they're breathing, their bottom hand that's on the belly should move first, and then eventually the top hand should move as well. But the hand should be extending forward. They should not be lifting towards the head. And mm-hmm. the reason that's important is because if, if your chest is raising towards your head, you're involving secondary breathing muscles that are not necessarily supposed to be activated during restful breathing. Mm, that makes sense. So just teaching people how that rhythm is supposed to travel through the body is, I think, a little bit better. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, and, and I love the, the hand cues and being able for someone to feel that. I mean, I'm doing, I'm literally doing it right now. Um, <laughs> I'm like, am I, is it, do I breathe like that? I'm not sure. I am. I do. It's <laughs> but the, the cue of, of little things, like you said, um, the chest lifting forward, not up, um, is, is a great sort of... Um, feedback that someone can get with their hand being there or looking at themselves in the mirror and seeing how that moves. Um, I also love that in that post that you shared about this, you used the band around your rib cage. 
um, yeah. which I've actually done with a weightlifting belt. <laughs> I should have actually used a, a band that makes way more sense in retrospect. Um, <laughs> the, no, the belt. They do, do make belts that are for that, that mm-hmm. have a little bit more tension than a resistance band. It can be really good. Yeah. Well, it just gave me great feedback. I could literally feel 360, three dimensionally yeah. where I was and where I was not, um, sort of expanding yeah. in the rib cage. And, exactly. um, when it came, to, I mean, I found it to be great and, and of great benefit all around, but more specifically when I do handstands, because oh, cool. being, you know, having your arms overhead really changes how you're breathing, where you're breathing, um, and what kind of stability you have in your core. Yeah. And that brings up a really good point about the reasons you want to train all different kinds of breathing, because when you get yourself into different positions or exercising at different levels of intensity, you don't get to choose how you're going to breathe. Right. <laughs> figure out how to breathe and um that is why you want to train like a million different positions and different types of breath work because then when you're in a situation where you're upside down and you're you're restricted more so than you normally are you can figure out how to breathe (laughs) yep yep i did i noticed that um even more so in a hanging position hanging was like wow i can't do it at all (laughs) okay back to the drawing board (laughs) But again, just a great tool and feedback as to, okay, how, how are these environments, different environments affecting what I can and cannot do? And how can I, what kinds of works, work can I do to practice that? Yeah, exactly. Super interesting. I want to like go, we need to have a, you need to have a workshop. I know, you know, I'm really, <laughs> I, I, we've been talking about doing a breathing product and like <laughs> workshops on it and so much, but it's, the planning and like figuring out how someone's going to interpret the product and, and move through it so that they can find it useful is like, it takes a lot of planning. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and it's like, who specifically are you going to start with? Cause I know cruise elite is, is a little bit more focused on um, the coach and a coach who coaches athletes, yeah. um, the athletic side of things, which is obviously where a lot of my interest stemmed from. But, you know, for the average person who's like, I just want to feel better. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> what do I do? Tell me what to do. <laughs> How can I integrate this? But um, the bag breathing, I think, is is a great example of something that's accessible to most people. I think most people can yep find a bag somewhere to use, um, but more of like how, how that could be integrated into their life, the ease of being able to integrate it. It's not something you need to go anywhere to do. It's not going to take very long. Would you suggest that be where someone should start if they were interested? With bag breathing? Yeah. I think that that is a really good tool for building CO2. And then I think there are other assessments that will tell you whether or not that's even useful to you. So, and we can talk about those for sure. Yeah. Let's just show um, One of the tests, I'm going to talk about three. Okay. Um, the first one is called the Bolt Test, and this is outlined in detail in the book called The Oxygen Advantage. So that's a very useful resource for people who want to learn more about breathing. Oh, wonderful. We'll put a link in the show notes. Perfect. Um, so the Bolt Assessment is basically measuring your breath hold length. And what it's trying to do is teach you how to identify when you actually are running out of air before any signs of stress build up. So what you do is you um, exhale. So you're going to take a natural breath in and then you're going to exhale. 
And then after your exhale, you're going to hold your breath and you're timing that. So you need a timer. So when you start holding your breath, you hit the timer and then you hold your breath until you start to feel any kind of sign that you need to breathe. And this part's tricky because everyone wants to beat themselves at the test. <laughs> and so they, they even, even when their, you know, abdomen is spasming and they're starting to choke, they're, you know, you're holding your breath still. And that's actually not the point of the assessment. You're not trying to get a maximal breath hold. I just, what you want to look for is the signs that your nervous system is giving you saying, please stop holding your breath. <laughs> which usually happens with a contraction in the abdomen or the diaphragm um, or even in the throat musculature. It's usually mm -hmm. some... I felt muscle. it in the throat. Yeah, just did it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So as soon as you feel that, you stop, you hit the timer, and that's your score. So that's your assessment to tell you um, basically what your CO2 tolerance is, which is how long can you hold your breath. Okay. And... The range that you're looking for optimally would be above 30 seconds for the average person. And then if you're an athlete, you want to be above 40 seconds. Um, most people fall around 20 seconds, which mm -hmm. is not a bad score, but you can get benefits from improving that score. Mm -hmm. um, and then the range that we're really concerned about is people who are under 20 and especially below 10. Okay, that makes so, sense. If you want to, you want to find out where you are on that spectrum. And then if you are on the lower end of the spectrum, bag breathing is a very beneficial tool for you to help build that CO2 tolerance and your ability to hold your breath. Interesting. And we actually use it for athletes as well. So it doesn't, bag breathing is not just useful to people who are having breathing problems. It's um, also useful very much so for recovery. Nice. Because it's a great way to improve oxygenation into your tissues without spending any more energy. Because most athletes are already spending enough energy on their training. Of course. And <laughs> a very good recovery tool that's not going to cost you anything. <laughs> Amazing. And it's, it's, it's far less expensive than like, well, I don't even know if this would be comparable. The, the oxygen chambers. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. That's out of any most people's price range. Yeah. <laughs> and not very accessible. No, it's not accessible. <laughs> oh. And who has time to lay there for an hour after they've already yeah. trained? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that is the, that's assessment number one. That's the bolt score. That's your ability to breath hold. And then we have two other favorite assessments that we like to use, which is measuring your ability to control your inhale and to control your exhale. So how well are you at slowing each of those down and extending them for as long as you can? And so you're going to do something similar where if you're measuring your inhale, you're going to exhale your air with a natural breath and then hit the timer when you start your inhale and you're then timing your ability to lengthen your inhale as long as possible. And so the goal is actually to take in as little air as possible, but you're not holding your breath. And so if you're holding your breath, you're cheating the test. That makes sense. Oh, so it's a constant stream in. Yeah, you have a constant stream of an inhale coming in, but you're controlling it so that it's not too much too fast. Right, yeah. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so that's your score for your functional, it's called a functional inhale. 
And then the functional exhale is just the opposite, where you're going to take a natural breath in and then you're measuring your ability to exhale for as long as possible. So you start your timer when you begin the exhale and stop it when you have to stop. Um, so those two scores, we use those three assessments. Um, functional inhale and functional exhale I like because it's also a training tool. So the bolt score is going to be a little bit harder to improve. It's going to take more work. And the functional inhale and exhale, I think, is actually easier to teach someone how to improve their ability to extend both their inhale and their exhale. Mm -hmm. And you're also working on CO2 tolerance at the same time. So it's an assessment, but it's also a drill that is very functional for people that can measure progress. Great. That makes a lot of sense. That's something that I feel like I have a little bit, I experimented with a little bit more than yeah. the other, um, but found it to be great for movements like, like a handstand where you're just static and you're trying yeah. to control the breath in a way that's not going to throw off the movement. Yeah. Which was yeah. Hard, very hard. <laughs> <laughs> but having that be a little bit more automated, I should say, I guess that's the right word. Um, while yeah, while yeah. doing a movement like a handstand where you're thinking about a hundred, you know, a hundred different things at the same time as to what should be doing what, um, having the breath just do its thing because you've practiced it, um, exactly. I found to be a game changer. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good point. So I could see in doing other activities how that would be of great benefit. Mm -hmm. Um, and I should say that the the results of the functional inhale and exhale are similar. So the same scoring. We, we use above 30, you're, you're doing pretty good. If you're an endurance athlete, you want to continue to improve that score. I've gotten people up to a minute, um, over a minute. Yeah. And so that is something that you can use as an athlete and if you have performance goals. And then in terms of the health perspective, if you're below 30, um, you most likely are experiencing symptoms related to having a low CO2 tolerance, which is going to be sleep issues and energy issues and issues recovering from training, um, issues managing your moods when you are stressed. You know what I mean? Like digestive issues, all kinds of stuff that can happen when you have uh, more difficulty with your breathing patterns that makes sense i literally just had a um i had a little bit of a cold last week and i i hate breathing through my mouth it's just something like i don't sleep well if i can't breathe through my nose yeah. um yeah. it's just not a pleasant experience i get very grumpy when i have a cold because everything's just off <laughs> not just because i'm sick because i can't breathe through my nose it's very frustrating um but one thing that i always notice when i do have a stuffy nose is how bloated i feel yeah. Like instantaneously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. really it makes a lot of sense then why that would happen. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned bloating because that's definitely one of the big things that can happen when you have um, poor recovery. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Your, your body's not flushing out your waste products very well. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Interesting. <laughs> very interesting. Um, okay. I had another thought on, I just, I remember seeing you with a breathing device and um, wanted to know what that was, if you could explain that a little bit, and then also how and if and how that relates to someone who needs, um, who has sleep apnea, like they need a breathing device when they're sleeping. Is that related? 
Ooh, that's an interesting question. I don't even know if I could answer that one. Okay, that's okay. Um, not. <laughs> I just pictured you know, devices that people need to breathe and how they could or could not be related. So my my interpretation of someone that has sleep apnea and and needs a um, tr- help with their breathing while they're sleeping is that they have poor breathing patterns and and low CO2 tolerance and it's causing them to mouth breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually wouldn't recommend the devices you're talking about for someone that has sleep apnea. Um, I would I would lean towards having them use CO2 tolerance tools like bag breathing or air hunger training and nasal breathing um, so that they can build their CO2 tolerance and start to train the habit of breathing through their nose. Um, that's as much as I know about sleep apnea, though. And the tools that you're talking about, um, I think you're talking about the expand along. Yes. Thank and you. then I, I recently got a new tool that I haven't been able to play with a lot, but the Oxygen Advantage has a breathing mask that allows you to do CO2 training as well. So it's sort of like bag breathing, but you, instead of breathing into a bag, you have a little bit of airflow through, through the mask. Um, and that allows you to, to train CO2 while you're doing cardio. So you can use that while you're running and when you're um, cycling or whatever it is you're doing. Um, so that's a, it's the, the oxygen advantage mask is used to, um, for athletes to simulate training at elevation. Right. So that is a very cool tool. And then the expand along is a device that looks like a mouth guard and on it, there's like this little dial that when you turn it, it increases the resistance of airflow. And so you're breathing, you have the piece in your mouth. And you're pulling your air in and out through that device. So you are breathing through your mouth. But the purpose of it is to actually restrict enough air that it causes your respiratory muscles to work a lot harder to breathe in and out. So it's actually a strength training device for your breathing muscles, which I think is amazing. Yeah, and it feels super so cool. Good. Yeah. And where can somebody find something like that? Um, I... I think we get that on Amazon. Yeah. Okay. So the expand along, it, it's literally called the expand along. So if you just type expand along into Amazon, you'll find it. It's like $35 or something like that. Cool. Um, we'll put a oxygen, link in the, in the show notes for that too. Yeah. Cool. The oxygen advantage um, mask that helps you train CO2 tolerance is probably available on their website. I got it from, I got it directly from them. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm going to assume that not many, you know, Certain people might be intrigued with that, and in, in the majority, might might maybe down the road. <laughs> no, yeah, that, that's more for those that are trying to improve their cardio capacity. Yeah. <laughs> I would say the bulk of our audience here is is that's not what they're going for. So right. I just want right. them to feel better on the day to day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I'm probably gonna get it just so I can play around because I like fun stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Experimenting. <laughs> I'm already the one that looks weird in the gym doing strange things anyway, so I might as well just add to it. Yeah, that's okay. You're really nervous <laughs> about alternatives. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's always the best when you walk into the gym and do a lot of you know strange things and then leave and people wonder, did you actually work out? And I'm like, well, I was. It just looked very different than what you did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it looked the same as I walked in. <laughs> <laughs> This has been really um, educational. I have, I have like, yeah. you answered so many questions and it also has like 
sparked so many more, but obviously they're, they're probably more personal questions than anything else. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy to talk about it. It's, it's getting me, um, first of all, I'm very excited about the topic, but also it's getting me better at communicating the topic. So I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it is, um, it's definitely a complex topic and just like we've, we've already said, you know, there's so many different ways that it can be, can be applied, um, not only for, different types of people, but even for an individual, how many different ways it could be applied in its uses um, and different ways that someone could experiment and play with it and, and find benefit. So I like things like this because they are, you know, while it is a complex subject, the way that someone could experiment or start with it is very simple. It's something that anybody can, can, um, can get some, some good out of. And it can not only prove just on their day to day, but I feel like anything that helps bring more awareness to somebody's body and what, just how their body works on the day to day, because so many of us are out of touch with our bodies and have no idea how to communicate with it. Tools like this are, are so helpful. It just helps to bridge that gap between, you know, us just walking around and doing our thing versus being conscious in our bodies and feeling like we are in tune with it. We can listen to what it's telling us and we know how to remedy that, you know, whether it's, I just need to rest or maybe I can get my bag out and do this instead of going on a run. Maybe I'm not ready to do that today. Yeah, exactly. Having exactly. these tools. Um, so speaking of, I know that you've gone through your own journey um, in regards to health and that's a lot of how you fell into this. Um, but what are ways that you use it on the day to day for yourself? And, and obviously that's something that has probably changed, uh, since you first started incorporating it, but can you yeah. walk us through like what that might have looked like? Yeah. So, um, the, the one thing that I'm happy I corrected is that changing the mouth breathing habit that I had, because I've never been a person that mouth breathes when I sleep, which can also be something you'd like to correct if you do have that. But um, mouth breathing every single day, all day, especially even when I'm just walking, I feel like I've gotten better at controlling my breath. And like you said, that is very empowering because you are basically, you're, you're in control of yourself. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that things are good. You're grounded when you have that kind of skill. And so nasal breathing all day, every day is how I handle my breath work from a very basic level. And then I also incorporate cardio pretty much, um, five to six days a week, but I wouldn't, I didn't start there. So at this point I'm doing five to six days a week of nasal breathing practice, either as a hike, as biking out on the road or on my spinning bike in my house and, or just walking trails. And so that's a way that I continue to practice Um, building my CO2 tolerance. And then I also add challenges into those daily cardio habits that include the air hunger training we talked about, where I actually do little stints of my breath while I'm doing the cardio. And I actually use that more as a recovery style training. I'm not doing that to try to kill myself in a workout. (laughs) It's because I'm trying to build CO2 tolerance in order to improve my oxygen delivery. So I often will do at least one to two rides a week where I'm actually doing breath holds every minute for about 20 minutes. 
And that is really like when you talk about feeling kind of elated after a workout and, and practicing your breathing, that is a really good way to feel that. Sounds like a daunting task, but I imagine at the end of the day, I mean, at the end of the session, you just, like you said, the elated feeling, like a sense of calm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like anybody no who's right. I'm sure it's a lot of work. Yeah. Like, like I'm using it as a recovery workout. I'm not actually pedaling that hard and I'm sweating like crazy. And I feel like I just did an awesome workout after only 20 minutes of a pretty simple intensity, like a low, low to medium intensity ride, you know, so mm-hmm. it can be really, really powerful. Do you feel um, like, um, how, how did that affect your sleep? So the sleep is the first thing that changed for yeah. me. Um, I used to have a problem before I started the bag breathing a few years ago where I would have to wake up two, three, sometimes four times a night to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And that is the first thing that changed for me when I started bag breathing. I started sleeping throughout the entire night. And so now occasionally I'll wake up and and have to use the bathroom once a night, but it's very different, you know, and much deeper sleep. So I think that that was the first thing that changed for me, actually. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. all of us could benefit from that. <laughs> if if anything, if only if only the sleep changed, I'd be okay. Not that I don't yeah. sleep well, but um, as someone who who knows the importance of sleep and how much I need when I don't get it, and how grumpy it makes me, um, <laughs> big difference. <laughs> but also knowing, you know, I have a, a fairly in in depth uh, intake form that I have clients fill out in one of the most important questions is some how how often or how much sleep is somebody getting what the quality of that sleep is like because it can make such a big difference in someone's progress and just in and where do we start in terms of just improving your day-to-day well that's an area that we should definitely focus on yeah it's one of the most powerful for sure definitely definitely so exciting so what are you working on now um projects you mean yes Yeah, so we are in the process of making our programming more accessible to the general population. So right now we have a coaches program that we teach a lot of the stuff that we just talked about and um in an online platform. So coaches can go and by the way. Yeah. Thank you. So that that's something that we started about a year and a half ago and so we're just constantly updating that, right? And the next project, which we've been kind of working on already for a while, is we do programming using this platform called True Coach, where you can program workouts for people that include video instructions. And so we have been working one-on-one with people and learn a lot about how to do that online. And now we're trying to figure out how do we how do we make it more available so that someone who can't afford that service can still benefit from all of this information. And so we're going to be generalizing a few products for people who are interested in all of these topics, including the breath work and including mobility and good other recovery strategies. And so that is our next goal to put together some programs for the general population and for athletes to start to work through so they, they can use this information um, and find it easier. Wonderful. So, Wonderful. yeah. Well, I'm very excited for it. And I have a, a, a list of people in my head right now who have, will, <laughs> I will be pointing them in your direction when, when you're ready for that. <laughs> okay. 
and we will be sharing some more information on what you do specifically um, just so people can find you where is the best place for people to scope out the information that you share um, your Instagram information websites that information perfect so our website is cruiselite.com and that's k-r-u-s-e-e-l-i-t-e.com and our Instagram page is both Taylor and I's is Cruise Elite. So it's just at Cruise Elite. And then we recently started Cruise Elite Women um, on Instagram as well. So and the women page is where I've been sharing more of this information about health and breath work. And yes. so you can find mo- all of the information that we talked about today is actually on the Cruise Elite Women Instagram page. And I am putting together a PDF um, ebook that will allow people to catch up on this topic that I've been sharing for the last three months um, in an organized way. Because what's happening on Instagram is people are finding me now, but I've already been sharing a lot of this information for three months, so they feel kind of um, confused about where to start. And so, and so I'm going to be putting together an ebook on everything we just talked about in this podcast so that people can catch up on that information and find a good summary and places to start so that they can start to do breath training. And that should be ready within the next four weeks or so. So exciting. Yeah. I'm very excited. Well, um, I'm sure that, well, I can't wait to see the information that you have to share. I think anything that's laid out, any type of information that we've discussed uh, that's laid out in a... um, I would say an accessible way. Like you said, the average person can, can open up this PDF, read about it, get educated, but also be able to integrate some of the things um, that you talk about on their own, which is again, just a a very powerful tool to have. Yes, exactly. I mean, I'm very excited. (laughs) I hope everybody else is. (laughs) I appreciate your excitement. When you're on Instagram and you're sharing stuff, you don't know like who's listening and, whether or not people even understand what you're talking about. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you are so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like having conversations about it and again, like different ways that it can be applied and making it feel very approachable, um, especially when it is a topic that there isn't a lot of information out there on, um, especially when we're talking about like the average person. I think if if someone were to, to look this up in relation to athletic performance, there's probably a lot more information out there and how it could be utilized. But again, our audience here, at least mine, is um is while there i'm sure there are a few athletes out there who could definitely benefit from taking their training to the next level um the majority are just looking to feel better feel more empowered in their bodies um and this is just another tool that can help us do that so thank you so much for joining me on the show today you've um shared far more information than i could have hoped for so thank you awesome Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Um, Is there any uh, last thing you'd like to say, um, advice for anybody who might be getting interested in getting, trying this out on their own? Yeah. um, The, the one thing I think everybody should know is that there are people like myself and like you that are available to answer questions and help direct them that will make their journey a lot easier. And so I make myself very accessible on Instagram. I know you do too. And I think that people should not be afraid to ask simple questions to get started. Absolutely. Yep. It's got to start somewhere. Exactly. 
Okay, cool. Well, we will be sure to include all of your social links. Um, we'll also be linking the Oxygen Advantage book um, and the tools that we talked about as well, so everybody can find those in the show notes. And if you have any questions for myself or for Alicia, feel free to sh- shoot her a message um, or leave a comment on the podcast. And um, we will have to bring you back on down the road when you've, um, you know, if you have any any new fun things we can play with or talk about. Yeah, totally. That's can. great. Wonderful. Well, thank you everybody for listening to another episode of Her Body, and we will catch you guys next time. Thanks, Alicia. Thank you. You've been listening to Her Body on Body IOFM with your host, Alex Navarro. And if you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more information about women's health and performance.